Welcome to the Indian Science Show. I'm Annie. And I'm Turtle. And today, we are going to talk about biopiracy. Oh, yeah. Uh... <laughs> Big topic. Lots and lots of things to talk yeah. about. We talk about intellectual property rights. We talk about patent laws. We talk about the history of it. It's actually another one of those really crazy topics that we can go all <laughs> day. Similar to decolonization, it's got mm-hmm. a huge historical context that it underlies does. it. <clears throat> There's also a lot of laws and policies that, I mean, I feel like you can do a PhD just on right. dis- exploring the policy of biocolonialism, bio- Pir- yeah. uh, bio- <laughs> biopiracy. It's very, it's all in bio- the, that kind of, along that, that I, that notion of going in mm-hmm. and exploiting a place and taking ownership of somebody else's stuff. Yeah. So we talk about how Jeff Hart did that with the Bitterroot Salish people. Not only that, but really all the tribes in Montana. Mm-hmm. And we talk about ayahuasca and how that has been exploited to um, spiritual ways that necessarily aren't how the indigenous community wants it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this is a, an ongoing thing. We'll probably revisit this again in a different form i think we keep coming back to historical context yes so the history is really hard to avoid when you're trying to understand (laughs) some like where some problems are coming from yep so we talk a little bit about the history but we don't go too much into depth on that it was honestly this was actually a really tough episode it was to pull this one together because because of that because it's got so many different things going on Mm -hmm. and Different, yeah. yeah, all the strings don't always seem like they go together. Mm-hmm. Well, different contexts for different countries, mm-hmm. different countries included in different policies. Yeah, there's a lot to tie into, and um, so we tried. I hope you guys enjoy it. Today's Indigenous fact is something that I had maybe heard about in Gen Bio. I don't know, ten years ago. I don't even know when I heard about it long time ago but i had never really thought about it or done more research on it and so i'm going to pass it over to the turtle and he's going to explain the ninja fact today yes and this is probably one of the few facts that would qualify as an ninja fact because right? it's a fact that i kind of took and sprinkled some indigeneity on top <laughs> and now it's an ninja fact and i guess what happened was i i also hadn't heard this before and till last semester which i guess was half a year ago no almost a year or no three quarters of a year ago yeah and in this class there's an anthropology class we did a lot of talking about hominids and hominins and and i noticed my teacher was or my professor she was using that very selectively yeah and i didn't think anything more of it though i thought oh well hmm weird i've maybe i've been using that wrong because i was just blanket state saying hominid i i I wasn't even familiar with hominin but it turns out actually there is a difference and hominin is a lot more specific it's a smaller grouping i guess it's like uh apes including so i guess it's us and our close relatives whereas hominids includes all great apes Mm. And as I was looking into this, I came across some 
of the most recent information about all the different hominins in our group, our genus group yeah. that we're in. So we're in the Homo genus, and we're Homo sapiens, and there are so, six other ones. So I, I was just looking at this tree and noticed that, oh, so we're, it's like we're the seventh generation of <laughs> hominins, or specifically we're the seventh generation of homos. I mean, yeah. Of course. I mean, indigenous people have definitely said that we are the seventh generation. And I don't know. that That's really interesting that you can put. I don't know. It's interesting. It never, never clicked my mind to even think about it in that sense until you brought it up. Mm-hmm. And this this is actually pretty recent because on some of the other sources I found, they don't have seven. They only have six. Mm-hmm. And they're missing this either Flori, uh, Floriensis or this this other one. Rudolphensis. I think they're more recently identified ones. That I thought that was really strange, though, because the more I've done learning as far as science and then relating it to my the stories that I'm familiar with, mm-hmm. like creation, our creation stories and stuff, it doesn't seem like science invalidates any of that. If anything, I've found that a lot of the science that I've learned validates. Right. Or not validates. It's not even weird. It's more like because a lot of our our stories are older than these stories that yeah. I'm learning from They're, science. It's like science is catching up. I think yeah. I've heard you say that once. Yeah, like it's, right. a, it's beginning to recognize. Yeah, some of the same things that because, we've had in our oral traditions for a long, long time. Yeah, Salish people have stories of uh, from the time of Glacial Lake Missoula, mm-hmm. and that proved to be very, very true because it it made the Oh my gosh, what is that called? Missoula Valley? What's what's Mission Bitter Valley? Well, yeah, it affected area. the watershed of the entire Columbia Basin. Like, oh yeah, because it, it it's a trip poured out. To imagine how, how much water in twelve weeks? Like it, just a yeah. ridiculous Whereas amount of water. You don't have anything like that in wrist, written history. Yeah. So, but there's stories, and and so this is really cool. Mm-hmm. I think this seventh generation is like one of the one of the oldest pieces of information maybe well, from our oral traditions indigenous people have been here since time immemorial so yeah, yeah since homo florensiensis <laughs> <laughs> i think the only one that always like sticks in my mind is homo erectus and oh, i yeah. can't like i can't remember like why that one just kind of because they stood erect <laughs> the erectus so, that kind of sounds right. oh that's i'm thinking of a uh, Mad Max. <laughs> I've never they seen that. that one dude. He had the ictus on Rictus. Rictus, I think, was oh, his name. Rictus. I think he was the one of Immortan <laughs> Joe's minion or his son or something. Oh man! So that I movie's have, gnarly. I have a question. I love those movies for you. Yeah. So out of these six other families, who would own? the knowledge that they learned while evolving who owns the knowledge yeah hmm because they were learning on a very very harsh landscape how to live on on planet earth on turtle island well then i guess ownership though is such it's kind of a cultural mm-hmm. construct since the idea of ownership was or maybe it's certain kinds of ownership because there was still so individual ownership was definitely 
a foreign concept to our culture and same with money. But I don't know if an ownership entirely was foreign. I don't know. I, I, I'm not an expert in this area as far mm -hmm. as I'm just curious about the, like kind of the psychology and the cognitive aspect of looking at something as belonging to you or maybe yeah. belonging to your people. Yeah. I don't know. So do you think you can own just, knowledge today? That's yeah. That's what I'm yeah. thinking. Like, and I also like to think about things outside of a human perspective, mm -hmm. like plants and animals. Mm -hmm. And I don't think so. I don't think that ownership is an appropriate system mm -hmm. for managing and sustaining these kinds of things. Yeah, that's the system that's right in place. That's the one that that's the paradigm right now is ownership and property rights and uh, the entailing responsibilities that go with that. <clears throat> Which leads us into our topic. Oh, yeah. Property rights. Which, really, that's some of the most basic things that drive a lot of the laws and mm -hmm. the politics and the government. I mean, it's really based around property. And even the, the Western definitions of sovereignty have very much to do with owning a land and having a land base and borders. Mm-hmm. And so we tend to find this kind of blatant lack of respect for communities that have been here and have understood the land and plant use. And you have people that come in and then take that knowledge and, and kind of really just make it to where it's commercialized, it's kind of owned, and you end up with biopiracy. Do you remember the first time you heard that word? Oh, man. Um, probably with Jeff Hart is probably where I kind of roughly heard about it. Um, they necessarily don't talk about biopiracy with him, but, um, well, in, in, in the community sense, but scholarly, yes. Um, but I really didn't look into it until like six, when did we record this episode the first time? Because... Like four months ago, five yeah, months ago? Yeah, it was a while ago now. Um, I'm not totally sure, actually. Yeah, it was. And so that's when, like, and it, it was kind of like biophilia to me, this idea of finding a Western word for something that, or not Western, I'm sorry, a, a more scientific term for a, a simple word that I used to know. So kind of biophilia is, is a love for land. And then, you know, biopiracy is just kind of, this rude undertaking of taking knowledge without reciprocating any kind of respect to the community. Yeah. I don't think I, when I first started checking out Jeff Hart's book, the plant book, I, I don't think I knew about biopiracy. My first experience of it was um, reading Vandana Shiva's book mm. or, or actually my mom. Now that I think about it, my mom's did, like some of her activism work was in that yeah. area was biopiracy. And it seems like a lot of the women that kind of led the way in the 90s and a lot of them have PhDs, which is pretty sweet, I think. <laughs> a lot of doctors, awesome women in yeah. their communities. And it's all over the world, too, all these different women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting you say Von Dava Shiva. Von Donna Shiva? Yeah, Von Donna Shiva. Von Donna Shiva. I'm, I don't know if I'm saying it wrong. Um. So I like like you said like I I didn't hear that but that's the 
definition that I have for biopiracy is from her. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I would. She would be a good one to define that. She's been fighting against it and dealing with it since before that word was even a thing. Yeah, dang. Yeah, that's and and you. So your mom has worked in biopiracy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was on this organization called. Let's see here. Of course, I'm going to forget it. It is the... Oh, yeah. I got it right here. It's the International... Or the IPCB is the acronym. And I I feel really guilty that I can't remember that. <laughs> my, I know that was a huge part of my mom's work in the 90s. And she worked with them to... She... Because her a lot of her work is in molecular mm-hmm. chemistry and molecular biology and she was working on her phd and had this really crappy experience and decided to walk another path and work with native people instead of going into like far like working with pharmaceutical companies and stuff and that was right around the exact same time a lot of this stuff was going on with genetic patenting and Mm -hmm. during that time this council formed called the indigenous people's council on biocolonialism and my mom was on this council for a long time and i think she might still be on it and they developed this film that i really recommend and i'll I'll link it or i'll link their site in the show notes it's called the leech and the earthworm and it's about what happened with the have you ever heard of the human genome project Ooh, it's where they went to all the Various indigenous, not all, but a bunch of different indigenous peoples, including here in the United States, but all over the world, and approached them and asked them to collect genetic material. (laughs) And they were preserving it for the future. And a lot of the rhetoric to justify it was because they wanted to save these indigenous people before they went extinct in case, like, (laughs) for the future for some ambiguous reason. And so a lot of people stood up against that. Yeah. And um, a lot of some of how they were getting it wasn't always ethical. Mm. They would deceive and not be fully, not fully tell people what was going on. But also they would promise things and not follow through on it Mm -hmm. or promise things that had no use for those people or there'd be miscommunications and basically kind of. The people that were giving this knowledge, this genetic knowledge, were not mm-hmm. being compensated or even recognized for that contribution. And that's probably one of the simplest definitions huh, of bio, yeah, biopiracy. Of biopiracy yeah. yeah, I mean, the so the definition that Van Donna Shiva gives is a biological theft, um, illegal collection of indigenous plants by corporations who patent them. For their own use. Hmm. Yeah. I think this is something we don't have to deal with that much in the United States. I know that I've been hearing things go on with the Manumen. And this is something they were concerned with over with the Haudenosaunee. Like in their corn and their beans and squash. I'm not sure if squash is... I didn't hear that much, but I know that... Corn, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just because of the way it pollinates its biology. Yeah. Makes it more, like it's, it's more in danger of getting genetic. Yeah, because any kind of you can't 
plant any corn next to a genetically modified corn within half a mile, mm-hmm. I think it is, because that's how far the pollen can travel. Yeah. I think it may even be more than that. I can check with the ladies on that. Um, but yeah, that's a big issue that they have and in, in with Haudenosaunee, especially because that's where a lot of genetically modified corn is grown to. Yeah, right around there. Yeah. And they have a really small land base. 120 acres. Yeah. As far as the what it says on the map and mm-hmm. the official maps that, but I mean, the, the crazy part I think about a lot of science is that the ex, the ethics have been so far removed that um, it's, I don't know, it, because there is ethics in science. They mm-hmm. teach eth- science and ethics. That's why I really struggle to understand why, these things continue to happen at such a big scale. And it really, I think it underlies that it doesn't matter how objective you think you are as a scientist, Mm -hmm. your your wallet matters. Like what is going to feed your family matters and and your beliefs matter Mm -hmm. and what kind of research you do. I think uh, while you said the U.S. doesn't have a lot of biopiracy, I think that the... United States contributes to a lot of biopiracy in other countries. Yeah, I guess it's it's one it's more difficult to do on its own mm-hmm. within the borders of the United States. Yeah, but yeah, you're definitely these large multinational corporations that often mm-hmm. ha- had base a basis in the United States. I mean, Monsanto is a Canadian corporation, but it's really a multinational corporation, mm-hmm. and I think that is forgotten a lot. And people kind of blame the United States when it's really. <sighs> The cor- this corporation, these really <laughs> super powerful corporations that continue to get more power through policies and laws <laughs> that are holding a lot of that those resources and the, what they actually get allocated to. That's <laughs> who's controlling that. And this is why it's so important for indigenous people to vote. Like it's important for indigenous people to get these policies changed and get people who will change these policies. Yeah, that I think. That's very important. Voting, even if you don't believe that it works, just mm-hmm. the practice of voting is empowering. Mm-hmm. And I know it feels really good every single time that I voted. Like once you've done it, it's like, yeah. Yeah, you don't even have to tell people you vote. I know. Just go do it. Just like go vote and be like, yeah, I voted. People don't even know who you voted for. Mm-hmm. And in a, in a roundabout way, if you actually want to vote for someone, that's not completely a mystery to you. Then, yeah. then you got to learn a little bit about who's running. Yeah. And then just by doing that, you're becoming I mean, informed. If you go to any of their websites, they simplify bullet points, what their platform is, mm-hmm. major topic points. Just go over that. And I think that that leads to word usage and kind of this difference between biopiracy and bioprospecting. Yeah. It's definitely not just a political Solu- yeah. like problem or it's political like ev- solution everything yeah, yeah there's there's a lot everybody kind of everybody can play a role yeah well the historical context is is kind of not never brought into certain situations and and biopiracy historical context needs to be talked about hmm. yes i that that seems to be a missing element in a lot of conversations mm-hmm. that, even just personal ones like people kind of forget where we're coming from and we get focused on our own, the own minutia in our own lives. And yeah. Well, I, I'm guilty of this every single day. I think I try to just to be there for my kids. Mm-hmm. I got to kind of put my own, like, because I'm trying to struggle with my research 
forgetting that they're they got their own problems yeah with their own schoolwork and their friends and everything going on in their lives so and i I think we forget about this on an individual level but also culturally and societally we forget about other people and what they've gone through and then we just like brush them off as if their experience is irrelevant and that's really what's been going on to indigenous people Mm -hmm. around the globe but i know i can we can speak from experience here in the states for sure up until kind of recently yeah well when so one of the websites that i got some information from talks about so my my particular focus for this episode was uh latin america area mainly focusing on amazon and they understand that the first cases of biopiracy around that area occurred in the 1400s and the early 1500s when the whole discovery of the new world by european explorers yeah uh, i think this topic is really similar to co- colonialism yeah. and colonization or decolonization mm-hmm. in that it, the historical context is really really important but yeah. it's so deep and it involves so many different co- it, it's just a huge it's a huge topic and it, it can become a huge. quagmire yeah and we can go off topic really easy but i mean that's kind of the topic of the topic yeah. is nah, it doesn't even matter well i think it's also important because a lot of people today use the term like the phrase get over it Mm. Like, why aren't you over it yet? Oh, have you ever been told uh, you lost the yeah. war? Yeah. Get over it? That is like one of the most... It borderlines on... I, what is the... Is there a condition that they attribute to a complete lack of empathy or the inability to empathize at all? Yeah, they're sociopaths. Like, Are you sure? Yeah. I don't know. Is that what a sociopath is? Yeah. I'm so, curious about that definition now because that... Yeah, so no empathy. How like people could... Narcissists kind of care about what people say, like think of them, like they they care a lot. But like sociopaths don't care what other people think. They do what they want to do. They have no empathy at all. Wow. Yeah. So that just seems that's that's just hardcore to me. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I've heard I've been told that, but I think I've twice I've heard that Mm -hmm. before. And my only reaction is anger usually, but that's the best time to just walk away before I do something stupid. Yeah. And I think it's like just people who aren't as open-minded to listen to the historical context and really kind of how that progresses through the generation of that community. And, uh, and it, it kind of really shows in, um, in kind of the, the early 1930s and especially in the United, this is, this is in the United States where, um, the patent laws within the United States started to change um, in terms of making it more, the patents more patentable towards biological materials. Hmm. Yeah, because patent law is pretty old. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it, it. Like the wheel is a patent, right? I felt like I heard that. Somewhere. Is it? I don't I'm know about sure, that. I know I'm pretty that. sure I read that. Oh, maybe it was like a joke I read somewhere, like a, like one of those New York <laughs> yeah. Times jokes, you know? I know that I did find this pretty cool site that uh, actually several sources that stemmed it, uh, traced it all the way back to 500 BC mm-hmm. with some Greek philosopher, or I don't know if it's a philosopher, but. They're always philosophers, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, and, but yeah, it. The but the patent system that is in place now 
is kind of sort of recent. They, mm-hmm. they started, I guess, the, some of the first patents were in the late 1700s and then definitely took off in the 1800s. The one you're talking about is specific to plants, though, right? Yeah, specific towards biological material. Oh, of plants or of anything? Um, I believe just plants. Hmm. Uh, wait, so um, it's uh, so it made it easier for scientists and inventors to claim to have discovered new uses of plants. Uh, most often, um, it was taken areas from the global south and given uh, the rights to such discoveries. Okay. Bunny ears discoveries. Oh yeah, air quotes. Air quotes. I feel like I want to play the air guitar <laughs> and have that just ma- automatically right <laughs> play some like the exact <laughs> tune that I wanted to play on the, for our introduction. <laughs> but uh, aside from magical abilities, this is probably one of the hardest things about what we do is all these different definitions we come across for all, and these different yeah. words for. Pretty much the same thing, yeah. and I you came you found another one uh, that's very similar to piracy, but it's more specific to mining, the prospecting. Yeah, so it's it's oh my gosh, this kind of uh, confused me a lot because I didn't kind of I never thought well again because I, there's, is there a difference? Yeah, there's a, there's a difference. Um, so uh, so it's they both refer to knowledge from indigenous communities um, that is taken by an outsider or a group who claims ownership of that knowledge and then sells it for a profit. But the difference is, is kind of, I don't really see a difference, but so biopiracy looks at um, occurrences critically as a term brings it with a whole set of negative associations, but bioprospecting is used to describe them in a more positive light. So, Shiva. She argues that biopiracy is more appropriate term to group all exploitation of biological resources, given the damage posed to indigenous peoples. And then she says that bioprospecting is ultimately the results in the theft of flat. Oh my gosh! In the theft of collective innovation or community uh, communal property in indigenous communities that is generated through the passing down of knowledge over generations. Hmm. I noticed a lot of these definitions are very similar to mm-hmm. traditional ecological knowledge, the language that's used in these mm-hmm. definitions, and that focuses on place-based, generational time of uh, like passing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but what, what there was an, I found this other definition from Pat Mooney. Did what, what year is that from the ones that you're reading? Um, let me just um so the website is quoting her her journal call or her um article called uh bioprospecting as sophisticated biopiracy and it was in 2007. Oh okay. Cool. So that one is hopefully up- updated from this one or I don't actually I don't think the one I'm going to read here is from 1993. But apparently that's when Pat Mooney coined the term biopiracy. And when I was doing some research, I found that there's actually, on Google Scholar, I've, I got 14,900 hits for Jeez. biopiracy. And that seemed like kind of a lot. But yeah. I know some when I do a lot of re- my researches, I get hundreds of hundreds, thousands yeah, yeah, hundreds on Google Scholar. Sure. And I, and, but when I did a more specific one on EBSCO Host, which is 
specifically online databases for peer-reviewed literature, mm-hmm. I only found 998. Hmm. And that's a pretty small number for right. for what I find on there usually. On Google, just straight up Google, there's 234,000. So there's lots of <laughs> all sorts of blogs yeah. and news articles. And there's lots and lots yep. of stuff out there on biopiracy. Which blogs are good, can be good too. I mean, you just have to make sure that you check their sizes, like their yeah, sources. Maybe... And make sure like you, you do your own research and you can understand them. Exactly. Understand yeah. where they're coming from. Like I'm going to talk about the... The new woman. I'm going to be talking about an article from the New Yorker, but it's in the terms of of not really like a science way. So, so when you read other stuff, just just make sure that you, you check your sources. Yeah, I mean, news articles are actually yeah. pretty legit. Uh, yet at the same time, we live in an age of fake news. Fake news. You can man. you can believe <laughs> whatever you want to about that. Yeah. The truth of the matter is, is that. News has changed. Uh, the journalist mm-hmm. industry has changed very significantly from the age of objective journalism. Yeah. So but, ta- just take yeah. what you see on the internet with a grain of salt, yeah. for sure. There are great journalists out there, though, and I want to give a shout out to my baby sister, Taylor Irvine, oh, yeah. who is a That's journalist. That's so cool that she's yeah. that. It's I I have not met that many journalists mm-hmm. that I kind of like actually know. Yeah. I don't know any journalists personally. So, and so she's working cool. in Tampa, Tampa Bay Journal. Is that their newspaper? Oh, uh, dang. So I, she's living down there now? Yeah, she's living down there. Nice. She's she's done some great um, kind of nightlife, sports. She does that. Mm. What does she think about the hurricanes? Luckily, because I've been worried, mm-hmm. right? Um, but she hasn't really been hit with them. Tampa's kind of missed is it sheltered? all of them. Yeah, it's on the what the west side of the peninsula, isn't it? Yeah. Tampa, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like right there. And so luckily we haven't had to kind of really worry about her. Okay. Um, well, hopefully that – hopefully it remains sheltered. Yeah. Um, and so I think there are great journalists, especially indigenous ones, that if you look really kind of center um, kind of more of a positive light on indigenous communities, and she's one of them. So yeah. shout out to my sister. Hmm. Good yeah, there's – I know I – we definitely hear a lot of negative mm-hmm. stuff and then – in a lot of news, especially about it's either about poverty or it's about missing indigenous women, mm-hmm. and I mean that stuff needs to be talked about. But that's the I guess the problem the vicarious nature of news is <laughs> oftentimes if it's like a happy fluffy story, people it doesn't get ratings, mm-hmm. and news organizations need those numbers to be yeah. able to get funding and all this other stuff. So it's I don't think it's a very helpful system yeah. one thing that i love about what she does though is um a lot of journalists will go into indigenous communities and focus on like powwows or like drinking problems or you know like the very yeah. stereotypical i guess it depends on the company or the organization you yeah. work for right yeah and yeah. so and so she comes in and, and brings a whole new light to indigenous resiliency and, and kind of what really happens in indigenous communities and mm. and it's been really great and i've loved watching her pictures grow and and um, some of our Instagram posts, if you're our Instagram followers, some of our photos are from her, and she's just a really great photographer. And I'll make sure to take her in the photos that we that we use of hers. Yeah, we got off topic, and I'm sorry. Talked about my family and got us off topic. But yeah, so well, check it's your kind source. of like she's a journalist. Yeah, she's and a you're about to share a journalist's <laughs> yeah. article, right? Yeah. So I mean, nothing wrong with Ariel Levy. 
who's the writer of the story that I'm going to talk. It's just uh, and she's she's solid. Solid. I'm, I I haven't done any research on her, but I'm just using the I'm just using her interviews. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I was just thinking because I've seen some blogs where mm-hmm. people will talk about things that they don't necessarily have experience in. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's the the main thing about blogs that you got to be careful for is they might not really know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. So just be careful who's talking about what. Exactly. Which is biopiracy in itself and people trying to... Same with podcasts. Same with podcasts. We don't know <laughs> what we're talking you, about. Be careful you podcasts you listen to because uh, they might not know what they're talking about. <laughs> You'll get correction reflections. Yep. <laughs> so what did, what did this journalist say about biopiracy? Oh, uh, we're going to talk about it now. This is my, oh, is this some this is per- my ayahuasca. Oh, okay. My ayahuasca Actually, people. hold on. Let me... There's this yeah, yeah. guy, Pat Mooney. So the very... The or no, that actually this isn't his definition, but I found this other definition that I'm actually not going to read because it's it says the same thing. It's really just about yeah. these corporations and how they go in and take ownership of or like kind of free ride on quote unquote or otherwise take advantage of resources and traditional knowledge of native people and indigenous communities, mm-hmm. and it's a problem. Well, that's kind of like what we were talking about earlier is a lot of the large, like the United Nations and kind of all these large, oh, what are they called? Like uh, coalitions? Is, is, is that what they are? Groups? Like, hmm. it's, well, uh, yeah. That's the weird thing about English is they're all, you can use them all specifically, but they can also be used kind of ambiguously also. Yeah, like the biodiversity convention, like all these conventions kind of, and coalitions. Yeah. And um, all the C words. That really are progressive towards understanding indigenous knowledge and how important it is in traditional ecological knowledge. But they have no power to change these policies. So while you have support from these coalitions and these conventions and councils and councils and, yeah. and like all of these kind of stuff you're just like how can we they get these have in no to teeth. change yeah they're like, no when teeth. it comes yeah. down to actual actual change and actual it, it really comes down to a country like mm-hmm. a in because sovereignty is a it, it's a big deal and oftentimes you I'm sure you've heard it in the news. The United States step in, steps out of this deal. The United States doesn't sign that deal. Yeah. And although all these other developed countries the are signing into these climate change agreements, the United States consistently doesn't or backs out. Well, since Trump, well, Obama um, did. Or Ob- we Obama did sign it. Well, the Obama is just one dude, and he was only in for eight years. So yeah. and this has been going on since the nineties, and they've yeah. consistently. But, but let's let's not forget what Bob Obama did. Obama was trying to be the progressive person that we yeah. needed in. Ames I don't believe in change. that. There's ever been a good president, but that's my opinion. Yeah, and so I, although it's a very strong opinion, I like to think I hold it loosely. So maybe one of these days you can convince me otherwise that there's a, there's a good president. Oh, we'll talk about it. Some my mom time. will get you on that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anytime, so, I'm sure she's. I just think it's a it. flawed institution. Like, oh, just no, I the, agree. It's, a, it's, yeah. archa- it's old. I like the. I can't remember what comedian was saying it, but he's saying, "Man, they wrote. They were writing this stuff when they were. They used a feather to write this kind of stuff. <laughs> they were shooting at each other with muskets. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we do not live and in that same world. And they haven't updated it that right? much since then. 
so yeah, anyways, that's a that's <laughs> man, we could have a, definitely a whole show on that kind of stuff. Right. But the political science. Yeah, we need to have a political science episode. Yeah, well, hey, my mom's been wanting to come interview, so we can That'd have be cool. a, she can be our poli sci. Yeah. I'm down with that. Okay. What were what were we talking about? Um, so we're kind of talking about bat in laws. Oh yeah. And yeah, there's oh, there's so many layers to this because there's patent laws and then there's the intellectual property rights mm-hmm. and then and those two concepts are very related. Yeah, they are. Yeah, cuz I mean, they're both talking about who owns the knowledge of evolving and adapting to land and kind of using these plants. Oh. Using these plants and kind of really uh <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to say this nicely, like, uh, respecting versus, uh, uh, profit. Okay. Uh, Though I like to think of these things when we're talking about cultures and differences in anthropological terms, because especially in the last few decades, they've tried, they've tried to take effort to sound as objective as possible mm -hmm. and get away from the more racist language (laughs) of the early to mid 20th century. Yeah. And and so the way they kind of group the two major, most dominant cultural, like the groups, I guess, is the ones based off of ownership and property and others that are based off of family and kinship ties. Mm -hmm. And there's always exceptions to rules like these. But generally speaking, indigenous people are family and kinship based and these more sedentary societies that build up huge cities are ownership and property based mm-hmm. and the law systems, the politics and basically everything is based off of those, that fundamental idea mm-hmm. of ownership. And it really, it's all about what kind of relations, what, how do we relate to the world, to the land, to the space and to the people that we share it with. That's, I think those two kinds of relating, is it family or is it something that I can own? Yeah. That's a very, very, very different concepts. I like, I also kind of think uh, of like exploitation in a sense too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kinda, that whole yeah. idea mm-hmm. comes from this, the, even the idea that something can be owned. Mm-hmm. Because, so, I mean, that's what you see a lot in, especially the Amazon region is this mm-hmm. exploitation of, of intellectual property rights where people are coming in with patents and thinking that they have this idea of the people there since they did know the knowledge but they didn't patent it they have the right to this knowledge because they technically don't have ownership of it and so i think that you have kind of the definitions for both of them right that we can kind of because i think we've talked about it but we haven't really clarified what these definitions are yes and as with all words there's multiple sources you can find these definitions at and i typically go for either government sources Mm -hmm. or uh, universities and if i can't then i go for international organizations uh, also usually actually also i try to find that but i did find this article from the world let's see that's the what it's the wipo what does that stand for let me find it again yeah it's it here it is world intellectual property organization wipo and they define this fairly simply actually and they have a really cool document that i'll link in the show notes where they go over a few definitions relevant to 
intellectual property rights, but or wait, you um, what's the, the definition and how they it? relate yeah. to to how intellectual property rights relate to patents? Yeah. So yeah, and that's all on this this one. Um, what is it like a? It's just a PDF I a found PDF? from the Whippo. Oh, okay. The World Intellectual Property Organization. But the like I said, there's other sources, and I found this definition from the OECD, and this one says intellectual property rights refers to the general term for the assignment of property rights through patents, copyrights, and trademarks. These property rights allow the holder to exercise a monopoly on the use of that item for a specific period. By restricting imitations and duplication, monopoly power is conferred by the social cost of monopoly power may be offset by the social benefits of higher levels of creative activity encouraged by the monopoly earnings. So they use the word monopoly yeah. like half a dozen times right there. <laughs> but the, my understanding of that definition is that it is the system of the patents and copyrights and trademarks and they're there in order to protect some creative thing that somebody made with their their own innate their creativity and the the second part of the f definition is kind of strange this by restricting imitation and duplication monopoly power is conferred but the social costs of monopoly power may be offset by the social benefits of higher levels of creative activity encouraged by the monopoly earnings that's Holy an interesting, God. yeah. That whole sentence went over my head. <laughs> like, I didn't understand a single thing from that. <laughs> so That's the way I understand it is basically that because you own it, it's going to encourage, and you can make money off of it, it's going to encourage people to be more creative because they can make money, they can profit off of these. And so it's going to drive this general social creativity. So there's going to be more innovative innovativeness or okay. innovativeness. Yeah, I think it's innovation. Okay. More innovation. Okay, yeah. Uh -huh. So m people having these intellectual property rights are yeah. through these systems of patents, copyrights, and trademarks. Will ha it's like an incentive and, system to drive creativity okay. in society. So then, within indigenous, and to protect the, those. Okay, so inventions. within traditional knowledge and indigenous communities. Um, it can't be characterized as an individual invention, right? And that's it, that. That's where this kind of struggles. Yeah, communal yeah. knowledge. That's why this system is so, not really. Okay. It's not designed for indigenous people. Yeah. At all, and again, it goes back to that property or family. Because I think in okay, and um, the so there's that was the one from the OECD and from the WIPO, they talk about intellectual property as that it's just like any other form of property and the rights associated with this intellectual property allow creators or owners of patents trademarks or copyrighted works to benefit from their own work or investment in a creation so again it's it sounds like an incentive system mm -hmm. to in, in a strange interesting way to manuf almost like to manufacture creativity yeah. at a social level Okay. And I can't say that it didn't work. I mean, we got look at all the inventions that we have nowadays. But it isn't designed to to be able to address the needs and the context of indigenous communities. Mm. That's for sure. 
So, and I think that's the one of the main issues of why it actually is capable of doing so much harm. Yeah, and it's I another th- system that's being imposed. Yeah, I think within the U.S. patent laws, you have to follow three areas. So it has to be either a novelty, a non-obviousness, and a utility of the invention. Non-obviousness. Like non-obviousness. <laughs> so it basically can't just be common sense or yeah. common knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there again, there's there's that kind of distinction between mm-hmm. indigenous knowledge and the knowledge produced by this yeah. system. So I think that's where the genetic, uh, that when they were talking about uh, material, I think that they were talking about like genetic changes mm-hmm. and like kind of this idea of changing like a little genetic modification means that it's your invention and that's your kind of new way of doing it right kind of cultivating a different plant yeah hmm interesting weird so it's kind of weird to think about it it really is and especially when we're so engrossed in trying to think about our research problems for Mm -hmm. trying to which both for both of us is to integrate cultural with ecological Mm -hmm. or to integrate different ways of knowing whether that's possible yet i am like again it goes back to words i think what we're doing is integration just doesn't see see seem to fit to describe what we're attempting to do so well i think it's how native should always be in education is where because it's not like you shouldn't have to separate who you are in your research and i think that before you kind of had to, you kind of either had to be a scientist or you had to be um, indigenous, you you know, like you couldn't have both. And I feel like now progressively as time goes on, there is more of acceptance for being both and, and putting your cultural lifestyle and way of life and worldview first along mm. with your science and kind of really, yeah. Cause I, I think it's integration is not, not a word that you should choose, but it's, I don't know, being you, you know, hmm. like finally being who you wanted to be as a scientist. Just be you, man. Be you. <laughs> um, so the what? these definitions get wordy really quick. <laughs> yeah, they do get lost. <laughs> and so I guess the, my, the main message I get from a lot of this is that it's, it's an expression of that ownership mm-hmm. paradigm, that ownership worldview. And that property rights are one of the most fundamental drivers of the current economic system that we have right now. So to ask that to just change up overnight, I think, is naive and a bit ridiculous. Right. So integration might be the only way. Maybe integrating Mm -hmm. indigenous values into that system might be the way to be, to shift the paradigm and begin yeah. moving it towards a more holistic. integrated yeah. approach, right? <laughs> need <laughs> that the, holistic view yeah, of life. We need to be integrated and we need to be holistic <laughs> and then we need to be woke. woke. And then we're, and then we're good, people. right? Yeah. We're good to go. I mean, in, it, it, what was it? Like little little pieces of the pie make a whole pie? Yeah. little <laughs> all, every, You put a million slivers together and you have a board. There you go. So it's just little, little things at a time. Yeah. Uh, one step. Mm-hmm. A thousand times makes a thousand <laughs> steps. 
<laughs> You'll get there eventually. No, that in all reality, that gets me thinking about this really cool article I found that was published in 2001, and the article is one of the most appropriately named ones that I've come across. And they're looking specifically at patents and how the current system doesn't really line up with indigenous values or indigenous <laughs> ways of knowing. And asking that question, is a communal patent system hmm. an answer? Maybe, maybe not. And they even this they even use the word biopiracy and use the word scourge. Scourge? Yeah, and that actually is a very powerful use of words, scourge. Mm-hmm. Yet it, for indigenous people, it is. It really is because if we, we'll get to a little bit more of the details talking about the case studies, like what would happen, what's going on with ayahuasca, what's going on with corn and neem trees and basmati rice, Mm -hmm. all these different plants that have been cultivated by people around the planet are now being threatened by these kinds of law systems <laughs> and that's really dangerous and so this paper is talking about maybe doing that maybe integrating or using these tools to benefit indigenous people instead of just i guess just it, <laughs> there, i don't know what else we would do honestly but at the same time it's almost like you're a checkers champion trying to go up oh, against the chess yeah. master so there's there's always a give and take. So mm-hmm. um, it's a struggle, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Right. This is a cool article, though, and I don't want to get into it. I just wanted to bring it up that there are options mm-hmm. and there are lots of different avenues we could be taking. But it's really going to start with just talking about it in our own communities and being aware that these patent systems and these law systems are now international systems. Mm-hmm. And through... Things like the North American Free Trade Agreement, as well as the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is that's more recent. Those types of things are not designed to serve indigenous values. No, not at all. And it's based off of property and ownership. So (laughs) until we start understanding these law systems and that they not only that they exist, but where they come from. Mm-hmm. it's going to be really challenging to come up with our own systems. Yeah. And I think that's why I like um, ayahuasca so much is because while... You it, like ayahuasca? Yeah, well, hey. So much? So much. Um, but but I think the... the So in the end, it's kind of a sad story because it ended up being revoked and, and the patent actually passed, but they fought and I think it shows the importance of actually standing up and fighting for something because then you get this kind of idea out there. So more people could do it. And the more people that do it, the more chance that it is that stuff will actually continue to change and progress and move forward and really kind of get this holistic view that we want. And I also think that ayahuasca's this is where the New York, the New York time paper article comes in where uh you exploit not only the plant but the culture behind it oh yeah i know i've i've been invited to ayahuasca ceremonies in the past and although i've been really interested in ayahuasca because i understood kind of that i was just interested in it it because i knew that it was 
one of the ways that those native people got knowledge. And so I thought, man, if I'm ever down there in South America, and at the time I didn't know where they did it. Mm -hmm. But if I'm ever down there and there's actually an opportunity to learn in that way, I wouldn't turn that down. But I'm not going to go and seek it out just because I want an experience. I don't know anything about that plant and like why it grows in that place. And (laughs) there's a really... There's this interesting thing I've noticed in herbalism where people use herbs specifically for their healing properties and they don't remember Mm -hmm. where they come from and that these plants are indigenous to a certain place just like we are. Right. And that's an important aspect of getting the full potential, the full healing power of that plant is not just that you're going to use it, but Mm -hmm. that you know where it comes from and that you have a relationship with that plant. Yeah. So just quickly, I'm going to just kind of go over ayahuasca. Um, so it's a it's a native vine um, that is found in the Amazon rainforest. Traditionally, it's used um, by healers and religious leader, leaders um, throughout the Amazon for generations. Um, so these, for hundreds of years, shamans have used um, ayahuasca to treat sicknesses, contact spirits, uh, foresee the future. So it's this plant is kind of sacred to their own traditional kind of values and religion and you know and so what had happened was and this is the united states coming in and and kind of creating a patent um so his name is so this was in 1986 Hmm, that was when i was born oh there you go um so his name was lauren miller and he uh is an american scientist and entrepreneur who obtained a u.s patent on a strain of of ayahuasca um and and it really kind of made people especially in in this community kind of really put forward what their own intellectual property rights and they should own it and they found that it was very very odd i guess you can say that there was this idea that an outsider could discover a plant that they have been using for generations and so that really kind of led them to this movement in 1994 um, where the uh, coordinating body of indigenous organization of the American Basin really kind of hit hard on this uh, bilateral intellectual property right, like kind of reciprocity agreement. Um, and that's kind of saying that you can't have this patent because it uh it doesn't it violates the patent act's utility requirement uh, because it uh, it issued a patent on a plant that is sacred to indigenous peoples and it violates notions of public policy and morality. Hmm. Nice. So, Where was this at again? Um. So this is in the Amazon. Oh, what uh, what country do you? Um, so it's multiple. So they have 400 tribes that are 400 nations that are kind Mm. of standing behind. That's awesome. Yeah. Which is, which is really, really cool. And, and so, and, and it was really cool because they actually had a good turnout. So in, on May 28th, 1999, based on the fact that divine, which is what, um, Lauren called, um, this new strain of ayahuasca, Divine? Divine. Hmm. Right, yeah. It's divine. Divine. It's This vine is divine. Mm-hmm. But it was found in U.S. herbarium collections. And so the 
oh man the the patent and trade office um i remembered that acronym mm-hmm. <laughs> um pto as they call it um so granted them a re- re-examination request and so in november um it found it rejected miller's patent at that point so they had won and it pretty much was was a win for them but they weren't really able to kind of celebrate it because in 2001 miller was able to present new evidence but they did not allow other indigenous parties to comment on it so the patent was restated um, and it was upheld for the next two years. Huh. So, so they ju- he just did it again, and then this time they just didn't mm-hmm. I- include any Native yeah. people? <clears throat> but because the way that he had worded the new patent, he was only able to have the plants that he had grown that first time. So it really had no no focus after that, after those plants had died. That, that was the only way that he can do hmm. the genetic material from that plant. Oh. From that very first strain that he did. Okay. What was he trying to do? Why why was he like trying to patent it? Um, you know, cuz it's <coughs> it's one of those things that uh I don't know. I've actually I actually don't know in any of the articles that I have read that they said why he did it. Like mm, what that was seems kind of the important. Main... Yeah, right. It See, just... I guess that's the major issue. Is that's often not asked in science. Is mm-hmm. Why? Well, I mean, but that's almost always the first yeah. question that I get from like people in the community. Well, why well, do you want to do that well, research? That leads us to Jeff Hart, right? On yeah. on on really, why are you doing this if if your only goal is to not give back to that community? Yes. Yeah, I use his book the montana native plants and early peoples mm-hmm. as an example i cite it i i cite i cited it in my undergraduate thesis and i'm probably going to cite it in my master's thesis as an example of what linda smith talks about as being like a colonizer's research agenda mm-hmm. or these colonized research agendas where they come in they get what they need and they, and they leave without paying so much as lip service mm-hmm often and i guess with jeff hart he paid lip service i know in the introduction of the book yeah at the very end i think the last paragraph and a half he mentions how to be respectful and that's paramount that's primary mm-hmm. for when we're going to go out in the mountains and going mm-hmm. out and engaging with the plant community that's it's one of the three r's yo right <laughs> But I think that people kind of overlook that part. I'm like, And that's what I don't think that his book really puts forth is the idea of respecting plants. Mm-hmm. While he does talk about it a little bit, the whole idea and the whole basis behind it is, is what? He doesn't talk to nobody anymore. Yeah. I know I've read articles about how after that book was published, there was a, a flood, really, of people that had read it. Mm-hmm. And not knowing any better, go on, going out and totally destroying all these places that f- some families had been taking care of for mm-hmm. generations. I mean, who knows how long? I mean, they probably only have a really good idea. Like mm-hmm. the, the people that maybe still go out and do to those places. And well, so, uh, <clears throat> but I know it, not everyone's intentions are pure either. So. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and that that's really hard for people who want to do research in a very, very positive, very good way in indigenous communities because you have people like him that have this rape research culture that goes in, takes what they need, and and Miller came in, take what they need, bring it back, and now ayahuasca is a spiritual drug that hippies do in Silicon Valley to get closer to earth and feel vibrations. Hmm, you vibrations. Know? Yeah, it's it's You got to get those vibrations in otherwise yeah. you're you, just not woke enough. You're not and and you lose this idea of the culture behind it too. Yeah. You're, you're you're taking someone who firmly this these communities, indigenous communities in South America firmly believe that this is their religious plant. That is something that you're going to take and try to make it this hippy dippy spiritual awakening that after 30 years of negativity i took it once and now i was a change person which is in this new york article that i'm going to do in the show notes that if you guys want to read what people are saying about the boom in the united states of ayahuasca use because it's illegal here you're not supposed to take it but people still drink it all the time Hmm. and then there's religious the religious religious freedom act Mm -hmm. that protects certain uses of certain substances for religious purposes and so it's not just culture but religion that's being appropriated as well and i think of a lot of things in very utilitarian type terms like Mm -hmm. is it practical type and and the reality of is it's not you're not getting the same kind of learning experience and Mm -hmm. the kind of knowledge that that plant actually has to offer if it's not being done in a particular way yeah and that that's really the truth of the, of the matter. And what you actually get out of the experience experience is going to be very different. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm always curious about the differences there mm-hmm. and if it's actually worth it for these people to be doing that. And I know that I'm curious and I want to try it, but only if I happen to be in the right circumstance yeah. in the right place with the right people. And that's going to be down. Where is it? In the Amazon, right? Amazon, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's acknowledging that people have had this connection to this plant for so long that you need to understand why they do it, not just because you want this spiritual awakening. But um, one thing that an elder had said to me a while ago was really kind of finding the belief behind something that you that you're connected to. So if if you believe in Christianity, it's it's believing in that. It's believing in if it's if it's not Christianity, if it's atheism, if it's being an indigenous person who really believes in the spiritual powers of the plant, like that's something that that you have to believe in. And if you're just taking it to take it, then what is the point? Hmm. To to trip to trip, trip out, out yo to take a drug, you know, like what what. So, uh, yeah, I, I got nothing against people trying to grow and learn and yeah. and do it in different ways. Yet, I feel like oftentimes that's done without guidance. Mm-hmm. And certain things are really dangerous if you're not ready for them. Mm-hmm. And I know that this is definitely one of them. And I can only imagine what kind of harm this has done in people's lives that went into the, right. the situation not really knowing what they're getting themselves into. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that's a big part of it because that's tied to place and the meaning is tied to that land and the, their medicine there. Mm-hmm. I think it's 
dangerous to be spreading this all over the place without tying it back to because that plant grows in that region for a reason yeah and same with those people they're there for a reason i mean everything is for a reason i mean like, mm-hmm. you can say that there's that's what a tautology a, a statement kind of that's necessarily <laughs> true but i guess my point is is that that is one of the most fundamental things that is missing from a lot of science these days is that local place-based mm-hmm. nature of the meaning and of the interpretation and implementation and all these different mm-hmm. words. Well, and then when you do like ayahuasca, which is now becoming locally extinct, the people that were so tied and interconnected with that plant are now losing who they are because they're losing this plant. Hmm. Now that's irony right there. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I, I just got done saying not everyone's intentions are pure. I feel like most people's intentions are. Yeah. And like I, I acknowledge rep- some people are, yeah, some, there's, there's assholes out there for sure mm-hmm. that actually are trying to do harm and they know that it's harmful. Mm-hmm. Yet I, just from my experience dealing with people over the years and traveling, most people are just doing their best and they, mm-hmm. but sometimes people have a really weird operating system that they're doing their best under mm-hmm. and these can lead to really horrible things in the world that they didn't really intend so these people are try out trying to learn and grow from doing ayahuasca and experiencing that out of the cultural and place-based context mm-hmm. are probably not trying to destroy this heritage and these people yet that's what's going on yeah so now they need to acknowledge what's happening and they need to start changing and i think that's why i think that it's strong like strong to end on like what you can do and i feel like what you can do is stand up and say something and continue to fight for mm. for the plants that are important to you or the people that are important to you or the issues that are important to you bringing awareness to certain issues that need to be brought forth in in patent laws and biopiracy and intellectual property rights need to be mentioned and need to be talked about yes and it's not a it's not a dialogue that happens in our community that often Mm -hmm. and because we have this domestic dependent relationship as a federally recognized tribe and you mix that with the what's called a fiscal or a fiduciary Fiduciary. obligation Mm -hmm. which means that the united states is holding in trust the uh, property and all the financial assets, all the assets for these all federally recognized tribes. Mm-hmm. And it has a, there's a lot of language that, that they have a moral obligation and a financial obligation mm-hmm. and all these different obligations to the tribes. And that's been interpreted in different ways over the years. One of the most, one of the worst ways it's been interpreted was in the fifties when they decided that that obligation meant termination. Yeah. So that is, I think, why these kinds of law systems are so dangerous to Native peoples in our communities, mm-hmm. especially when we're not talking about it. And mm-hmm. um, we do have options. Because yeah. we, we, are, we have this sovereignty, a certain level of sovereignty to create our own laws, we can begin doing that. And mm-hmm. so I, that... I know there's this one article I'm going to link in the show notes that talks about that as one of the potential avenues forward is avenue. <laughs> what a what a colonized word. <laughs> one of the potential 
game trails <laughs> forward, right? So one of the ways we can go forward in yeah. the future and help maybe solve some of these issues, or if not, at least address them is to create our own systems of patents mm -hmm. that are more community-based and more based in the rights of nature and the rights of the people, not companies and not individuals. I think individualism is still important and it's valuable, but it's, it's, I think it's, there's a balance there mm -hmm. that indigenous people have a lot to say about yeah. that. It's all about balance. And I know that I'm always working on that. <laughs> I think that's a good time to end. I think you're right to, to end it on a positive note mm -hmm. and that despite the 200 plus years of laws that we have that kind of working against us, there's a lot of hope because we are simply facing a, a survival scenario as a species. Our ecologies are beginning to like show us firsthand what the consequences of this ownership-based paradigm mm -hmm. is going to bring us. And now that we're losing all the balance in all, so many systems, pretty much everywhere you look, the this call for rebalancing these systems is going to involve indigenous people. Yeah. And the what gives me hope, I guess, getting to my point, is that I see people listening now. Mm -hmm. And... Not only that, but I feel like I'm willing to listen too. And I'm willing to just understand other people enough so at least I can talk to them mm -hmm. and know as much as I can know where they're coming from. And that's, I think, a huge part is to know where we're coming from too. Not just create, help try to create our own systems of mm -hmm. patents, but just individually taking a step back and... Uh, taking just a little bit more effort to get to know where we're coming from, both as individuals, but also like if you go somewhere, just know where you're at. Mm -hmm. Know who's been there for the last few hundred, few thousand years. I think we've said that quite a few times as a mm -hmm. tip. Just know where you're, know where you're at. <laughs> get to know the native folks that are there. Because we firmly believe in it. <laughs> yeah. What would you say? I mean, just thinking about this stuff, all these patents and everything. Well, I just think from like, how resilient we have been for this long. I think we just got to stay, stay resilient. And there are means to really change things. Like women used to not be able to vote and I voted. It just takes time. Like, yeah, you my grandma's generation. Yeah. My you, great grandma. She, like, it, it just, grew up you just got to happen. Like it just takes time and people can't get defeated. It, just like mm. you said, be patient. It happens. You, but you can't just sit idly. There are voices. There are means. Stand up and do it. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Just and and we can't not we can't do everything no. as individuals. But you can at least kind of know what's going on and <laughs> pay attention to what's going on and do your part. And we're all going to play a different part. <laughs> Scientists, in particular, I feel like just changing our research approach. Yeah. The methodologies don't need to nece I, I don't necessarily feel like those have to change that much, but the approach to those methods mm -hmm. that Definitely. I feel like is where the ethical frameworks can shift to a different paradigm, the one that respects land and is more based in 
this notion that we're related to these other organisms, not that they're just resources to be exploited. Mm -hmm. And I know that places like, I might be getting this wrong. I think it was Bolivia where they did that, the food. declaration on the rights of Mother Earth. Yeah, and I think that's where they did the food sovereignty, indigenous mm. food sovereignty, right? Yeah, we'll have to check on that and correct it if not. But mm -hmm. um, but that just, I mean, just the concept mm -hmm. of doing that. I mean, that that's not quite possible here, but as a sovereign tribe, right? Yeah. The confederated tribes here and also other federally recognized tribes, those kind of law systems can be explored and talked about in a way that maybe the states can't. Mm -hmm. And maybe at a federal level, they can't quite do that because it's of the foundations of this law system is in property and ownership. So the, it's going to take a little bit of thinking outside the box, mm -hmm. but I think just being coming aware and there's this amazing resource that I found called Bioneers mm. and it's available in podcast form. I, I believe it's like a radio audio series, but the, there there's a bunch of podcast downloads. Is it on iTunes? I don't really, do you I know? have no idea. I watched on YouTube. Yeah. I was, I was listening to it on Podient or not mm. Podient, but, um, that's a, that's the, that's who hosts our podcast. Shout out to Podient. By the way. <laughs> Thanks for hosting our podcast. But, what what is it uh pocket casts that's oh. the one yeah pocket cast that's the one i found it on but just look for you could probably google violent bioneers yeah b-i-o-n-e-e-r-s and there's a lot of different uh it's it's all it's so many different things but there's a lot of these concepts relating to why it's so important for these patent systems to shift their paradigm or us to address these things mm -hmm. because they're big and they're coming our way. Yeah. And I think that leads to what I'm thankful for this week or this, this episode is um, indigenous scholars. So people who are currently in education who mm. are really kind of focusing on indigenous core values yeah. and putting that forward because it's scary. It's scary jumping into a Western institution where, you're taught not to put that at the forefront. So shout out to all you guys because I understand how hard it is. And it is, it hits you at your core when it doesn't go the way that you want. And uh, so stay strong and just remember that that's what you're supposed to do. And that's where you're supposed to be. And just know that I saw a Facebook post saying that um, your ancestors are going to be proud of you. And uh, we live in a different time. And, and so continue to work hard and I always believe that education is important. And uh, so shout out mm. to all you guys as finals is going on right now. And uh, it's going to be good. Yeah. Stay fighting. I know I'm, I'm, I get stuck in my own research and forget that all, everyone else is doing finals, which mm -hmm. is a totally different experience than <laughs> yeah. what I'm going through. And I wouldn't say necessarily say less work. I, I would say less stressful. Yeah, well, but I, I it's also next semester is going to be stressful for us. I yeah. think it's a different stress level. Yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely all sorts of different kinds of stress, and mm -hmm. I think I'm grateful. I'm grateful for discipline because I've learned more and more that willpower is extremely limited, mm -hmm. and it runs out actually really fast, depending on what happens in your day. And or even just like how much sleep you got last night. Yeah. Or if you're sick, you got less of it. 
so I, I realized that mm-hmm. I can't, the more I focus on trying to have more willpower, the less of it I tend to have. <laughs> and I re- the more I do things, certain things, the more I learn what discipline is. Mm-hmm. And that's where willpower comes from, is maintaining some form of discipline, a daily discipline or routine, you can call it. Yeah. And I'm grateful for the one that has come into my life. And it's not something I tried to logically put one together for years and years and say, this is the routine that I want to follow. It's going to be this step and then this step. And then I'll do that because I get this benefit and I'm on a hop. But the reality is, is that it has to fit your circumstance and it's going to change depending on how you feel and depending on what you're going through in life. And Mm -hmm. now what really matters most, I feel, are the principles. And that's just getting up and taking care of my body, moving around and not jumping on some piece of technology right away, but actually engaging with reality, either like some plants or my family or mm-hmm. outside, go outside and breathe some fresh air, but something to remind me that life is good mm-hmm. and that I'm grateful. I get up and I try to do that every day and it seems to make a huge difference to the whole rest of my day. And then I can actually get going and I remember what my mission is like a, yeah. or my that that message that I want to give to the world. And then I have the energy to go and give it instead of feeling like I have to go to work and it, that it's just this drud, this drudgery all over again. It's more like, yeah, this sucks, but it's just a part it's just a part of it. I mean, that, it's not supposed to be easy. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm i also grateful for the scholars. And that's definitely this Bioneers thing. Is a, lot of, <clears throat> a lot of indigenous scholars and a lot of people that have been paving the way for us to be able to come and mm-hmm. talk about the things that we're talking about. Because I know I didn't get a lot of my ideas from thin air. Right. So I'm really grateful for all the people that have been... For all our ancestors, all our relations that have been fighting for all these generations. Oh, man. Because yep. mm. they kept it. That's what I'm getting at with the discipline also is that our ancestors knew what discipline is. And they got up and they knew what their purpose was. And they did it. And mm-hmm. that was their discipline. That's what gave them willpower to survive and to be happy and to do all mm-hmm. these awesome things is knowing what you value and knowing what you need to do. It's yeah, not definitely. like you don't got to get up and think about your agenda. You, it's just right. like it, your agenda makes itself because you already you're on your path. And that's the hard part mm-hmm. is figuring out your path. So, yeah, figure out your path, yo. <laughs> I don't know exactly how to tell everybody to do that. Yeah. Because from my experience, everyone f- tends to find it a yeah, you'll find, find it eventually. Yeah. Um, well, and and you'll know at when different it happens. times too yeah. during their life. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you might have multiple paths. Like, mm-hmm. it, it just just continue. it's like a tree. Yeah, just yeah. just do you. There's lots of branches available. <laughs> try to be happy, and be handy because yeah. if you were reaching out for the wrong branch and it breaks, and you might fall, <laughs> but there's that tree still there, and you can go up and climb again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to download the podcast, you can find us at any of the main platforms like iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, 
And definitely leave a review for us on iTunes. That helps a ton. And it also helps us understand what people would like to hear more of. So we definitely appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And you can also find us at our WordPress page. And also on social media, right? Yep. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All at Indian Science Show. So NDN Science Show where you can let us know how we're doing or if you have an idea for the show yeah let us and know. we'll put out announcements for our releases as well as some other content we're working on trying to get some videos as well as mm-hmm. do other different things so you can find out about all that on those places the uh, social media but we also have a wordpress page and just like annie said it's at ndn science show And the spelling of it is N-D-N-S-C-I-E-N-C-E-S-H-O-W dot WordPress dot com. That's IndianScienceShow dot WordPress dot com. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll catch you on the flip side.